Now tonight's episode is pretty interesting for the simple fact that we're taking a trip to a place that I don't know much about. I don't know how many people know much about, but this place was home to some really incredible crimes. And it's known as Anchorage, Alaska. Now obviously we all know that it's freezing up there, it's cold as all hell. Not many of us knew that there was a possibility to have a serial killer, or a killer at all, or killings at all. I did not know that that was a thing. was not expecting to find this case, but I was so happy when I did, and I'm going to share it with you today. So thank you again for tuning in. As always, I am Patrick Michael, your host. Glad to have you, man. Hopefully you've had a really productive week, weekend, you know, and overall beginning the growth here at the shows continue, and I will always be bringing you guys content as often as possible. You know, got some new equipment, working on uh, improving the sound quality and just overall content quality, and that's why we're here, guys. Now, unfortunately, I could not find uh, crime rates that were, you know, around this time. I guess you'd say I was looking for something around like the 1980s, what the crime rates were like out there, because this is when this was taking place. But as far as 2010 says, uh, and this is per 100,000 population, uh, Anchorage is 837.7, and you compare that to the 638.8 of you know the entirety of Alaska, it's obviously more. And then per the average U.S. city with a population between 100,000 to 250,000, uh, violent crimes were five, 519.6. So that is a telling sign that like Anchorage was definitely up in the crime rate uh, vicinity, you know, as far as violent crimes. So that's pretty crazy. I did not expect that at all. You know, I had no idea. It says uh, in 2010, Anchorage reported 837.7 violent crimes per 100,000 population and 3,518 property crimes per 100,000. Uh, Anchorage cri- Anchorage's crime rate, both for violent and property crimes, is higher than uh, for the entirety of Alaska as a whole or the U.S. as a whole. Uh, when compared to the U.S. cities of similar sizes, Anchorage has slightly higher rate of violent crime and slightly lower rate of property crime. Probably not as much property. Uh, Anchorage and Alaska in general have very high rates of sexual assault in comparison to the rest of the country. Which that, you know, I don't know. Is it sparse? Could that be why? Uh, With Anchorage's annual rate of forcible rapes over three times as high as uh, for the U.S. as a whole. That's insanity. Uh, In 2010, the rate of rape for Anchorage was 90.9 per 100,000 population. Wow. While the U.S. rate was 27.5 per 100,000. Uh, Alaska, Alaska natives are victimized at a much higher rate than their repre- uh, representation in the population. That's bizarre, man. I would have never expected that at all. Like, I just, I don't know. I feel like people kind of go there in a sense to get away from the general ongoings of life, you know? You don't have to worry about crime as much because there's not nearly as many people. But because of the fact that they probably have a smaller population, the number of, you know, the percentage is going to be higher because they have less people. You know what I'm saying? So if they say they had, it was like New York City, obviously the crimes are going to be, you know, it's going to be more, it's going to be lower because there's more people. So the the percentage is going to spread out. But I don't know. It's still pretty bizarre to know that there is that much crime, especially sexual crime taking place in, you know, Alaska. 
because I believe that's one of the few places, and I think like Antarctica and stuff like that, where they, the government will pay you to go live there, which I can fully believe. You know, why wouldn't they? You know, who wants to go to that tundra? It's freezing, man. Nobody likes cold weather. There's not many people that are like, hell yeah, snow's awesome, or hell yeah, below freezing is amazing. Let's do it. But I feel like there is enough people, and they're probably just lowlifes that are like, yeah, we'll take some free land because we can't do anything else. You know, we have to, you know, once again live off of the, the state, if you will. But yeah, like I said, I was not expecting the numbers to be so high. I mean... I don't know. It's just a weird concept to think because it is a very vast amount of land. You know, it's a huge area. And there's still this much crime taking place. I mean, there's probably a lot of loneliness. And there's probably like one or two bars. And if you go there, you definitely risk, uh, you know, having something, some sort of sexual crime thrust upon you. No pun intended. But now let's talk about who we're actually here to talk about, what we're actually here to talk about, and it is the crime, and it is a specific person. Because like I said, during the 1980s, there was a serial killer in Anchorage, Alaska. With the population so small, I would not have expected there to be the likes of a serial killer. So let's talk about this person, this man, and his name is Robert Hansen. Okay guys, so I do want to mention right off the bat it was not my intention to do a serial killer for the last two episodes, uh, this one and the one prior, but it happened, it happened, and it's fine. And the reason that it kind of happened this way is because the last one was in my home state and I never knew about the guy, and this one is from Alaska, Alaska guys, what? It's just crazy. I couldn't believe it. As soon as I saw that this was a thing, I was like, wow, I've never even heard of this guy either. You know, so there's a lot more of them out there. But let's talk about Robert Hansen in his early days. Uh, Robert Hansen was actually born in uh, Esterville, Iowa in 1939. So that's not, I mean, I've never even heard of Esterville, Iowa. But then again, I don't know much about Iowa as it is. Uh, he was the son of a Danish immigrant. And he followed in the footsteps of his father to become a baker. Uh, in his youth, though, he was a skinny and painfully shy uh, kid. He was afflicted with a stutter and a severe case of acne that left him permanently scarred. You know, like most kids. You know, we all either are painfully skinny or ridiculously large. You know, so you're getting picked on one way or the other. There's no middle ground. And then you got the stutter and the acne on top of it. It's crazy. In the later years, he would recall his face as one big pimple. He was shunned by the attractive girls in school. He grew up hating them and nursing fantasies of cruel revenge. You know, as one does, you know. I tend to sit down in my, you know, later years and 20s and just ponder about the the girls in school that never gave me attention. No, of course not. A crazy person does that. Uh, throughout childhood and adolescence, Hanson was described as being quiet and a loner, and he had a dysfunctional relationship with his domineering father. So, you know, old school dad, dysfunctional family, it's going to kind of happen. And then the fact that he was already scarred from, like, the acne, you know, no pun intended, and he was skinny, painfully shy, he was going to be quiet, of course. So that kind of comes with the, with the 
territory. In most cases, you don't see the you know the crazy, ugly kid or whatever, if that may be the case, being the also the class clown because it's hard to laugh at somebody that's dealing with a lot of shit. Uh, he started hunting and often found refuge in uh, in hunting as a pastime. You know, he had a domineering father, probably forced him to go hunting, and made him go after whatever he killed. Uh, in 1957, Robert Hansen enlisted in the United States Army Reserve. He served for one year before being discharged. He later worked as an assistant drill instructor at a police academy in Pocahontas, Iowa. That sounds like a cool place. Pocahontas, Iowa. But uh, crazy enough to think that he was up there with, uh, in a sense, power. You know, he had some power. Being that he was a, a drill instructor at a police academy as well as being in the United States Army Reserve. Uh, he began actually there uh, a relationship with a younger woman who he then married in the summer of 1960. On December 7th, 1960, he was arrested for burning down a Pocahontas County Board of Education school bus garage. He served 20 months of a three-year prison sentence in Anamosa State Penitentiary. So right there, it kind of just makes you wonder what was his purpose behind burning down this place that he, in a sense, was kind of affiliated with, being that it's where he's from, or where he lives. It's kind of weird, especially that, he, like I said, he was a drill instructor at a police academy, so he's going to commit a crime knowing that there's people that can get him in trouble right around him. Seems a little, it's a stretch, but, you know, for crazy people, I, I guess maybe not. I mean, he served 20 months. You know, that's fucking, that's a long time. Over two years, guys. You know, so he'd already had some time in, in the system. And I feel like, a lot of these guys, when they go through and they see the system and they they notice it, the, the simplicity of it and they get comfortable, it makes it easier for once they come out to commit more heinous crimes because they don't care about going back. Uh, his wife actually filed for divorce while he was incarcerated. So that had to have been a shitty blow. Uh, over the next few years, he was jailed several times for petty theft. Just stealing shit, man. Can't get a job after you got a felony. Uh, 1967, he moved to Anchorage, Alaska. He was with his second wife at this time, who he had married in 1963, and he actually had two children. So he's a family man. He took his whole family to Anchorage, Alaska, the place you want to be. That's why that's why I kind of made the connection with the amount of crime happening in this place as of 2010. Are they still letting felons just move there? You know, the worst of the worst find a haven in this place because no one's going to mess with them and then these guys are ultimately going out and messing with the the citizens i don't know but at least back then you know 1960s 70s it was still definitely a thing because i feel like i've heard about this before where bad guys killers or criminals would take off to places like alaska or antarctica you know just to flee you know the possibility possibility of jail time uh, in Anchorage, though, he was actually liked by his neighbors, and he set several local hunting records. So they knew what he, you know, he was good with his hunting. Very uh, promising. So he grew up with a domineering father. You know, he had acne and stuff, which is no excuse for you to be a shy, I guess. I mean, I, yeah, be shy, but, you know, you got to work your way out of that, man. You got to embrace it. You gotta embrace the concept of like, hey man, I am who I am regardless. It's not my fault. I didn't ask to have acne. This was not a choice of mine. You know what I mean? It's it's genetic in most cases. And then the fact that he's skinny. Like, who cares, man? You can change that. 
just like being fat you can change that it's not a difficult thing but you have to be willing to do it that's the difference that's the difficult part and and being upset at the fact that pretty girls aren't giving you attention in school who gives a shit who cares why should that matter why should that bother you you know to the deepest parts when ultimately within a year of being away from that you find out that it doesn't matter at all but like I said when you go back to people that have an issue inside of their mind in their brain there's a better chance that they're gonna be like uh, you know they're gonna fixate on stuff that the rest of us think is uh, we look at as we're oblivious to it you know it doesn't matter it's sec- it's nothing to you like I said the weirdos are out there man but uh, let's get into uh, the initial investigation before all of the crimes and what he actually did and the craziness of his crimes okay guys so right before we actually get into you know his investigation and the crimes and all that stuff I just want to give you a quick rundown of this person outside of just his early life his uh, full name is Robert Christian Hansen he was born February 15th 1939 as I said uh, earlier Esterville Iowa Uh, his actual name that was given to him because of his crimes was the butcher Baker that's kind of like the saddest the saddest name right who's ever feared the baker (laughs) it's it's like they really just put together two different jobs the butcher and the baker He's two different guys. I don't care. Uh, He has two children. His criminal charges uh, stem from like uh, arson, assault, kidnapping, weapons offenses, theft, insurance fraud, murder, and rape. He has between 17 to 21 or more victims. And his span of crimes were from 1971 to 1983. That's insanity, man. You know, most of these guys don't get that kind of longevity. But maybe that goes hand in hand with the fact that he was in Anchorage, Alaska. But right there, because of the lack of population, I would assume it'd be easier to figure out who's killing said people. You know, when citizens start going missing, not that many people to choose from that could be, uh, you know, that aren't, they're not even from there. Those would be the first people I'd start looking at. All right, so let's get into his investigation. On June 13, 1983, 17-year-old Cindy Paulson escaped from Hanson. He was actually trying to load her into his Piper Super Cub, which I don't I don't know what the fuck that is. I would assume it's some sort of a car. Oh, it's actually uh, it's a two-seat single-engine monoplane. Uh, it was introduced in 1949 by Piper Aircraft. It was developed from the Piper PA-11 and traces its lineage back through the J-3 to the Taylor E-2 Cub of the 1930s. That's pretty interesting, right? Uh, She told police that he had offered her $200 to perform oral sex, but that when she got in the car, he pulled a gun on her and drove her to his home in Muldoon. Interesting. Uh, Muldoon's actually just a neighborhood on the east side of Anchorage. It's named for Muldoon Road, which is the most significant north-south thoroughfare thoroughfare, excuse me, in the north uh, northeast portion of Anchorage pretty interesting in itself right what a cool name actually Muldoon I like that uh, there he actually held her captive uh, tortured raped and sexually assaulted her she mentioned that after he chained her by the neck to a post in the house's basement Hanson then took a nap on the nearby couch oh, come on fucking shithead what a shithead I mean it's like uh, maybe maybe it's not documented with a, 
a lot of these other survivors where they're like, yeah, and also my the predator here, he decided to go have a sandwich and uh, watch some uh, Prices Right in, in the midst of, you know, cutting me in half or whatever. The, you know what I'm saying? It's fucking crazy. The dude took a nap. Uh, when he woke up, though, he put he put her in her car and took her to the Merrill Field Airport. That's where he told her that he intended to take out take her out to his cabin, which is a shack in the Nick River area of Montanuska Valley. It's access it's only accessible by boat or bush plane. So okay, right there in itself should kind of point like okay, this is going downhill very fast. Like he's already held me captive tortured me, raped me, assaulted me, and then took a nap, and now we're going to a place where almost nobody else can get to. Yeah, no, fuck that. I'd be losing my mind. It just, I don't know. I feel like in these situations, it's that uh, flight or fight, you know, situation has to show up in every person. It just has to. It seems like it would. Like, at this point, when you know that that's got to be... You're coming close to the end. He's going to kill you. You'd be doing everything you could to fucking take off. She's already at a, an airport. I don't know how many other people could be there. But the fact that she's outside, she's not trapped. She, I would just take off running. You know, better to risk fucking him sh shooting me in the back or something. And uh, getting caught, rather than just being taken out to this place where nobody's ever going to find me again. Uh, Cindy Paulson, the seven, poor 17-year-old girl, uh, she crouches in the back seat. She was crouching in the back seat of the car with her wrists cuffed in front of her body. She waited to escape until Hanson was busy loading the airplane's cockpit. See, there you go. She's got the right idea. Now, while Hanson's back was turned, Paulson crawled out of the back seat, opened the driver's side door, and ran toward the nearby 6th Avenue. That's what I'm saying. She's got the right fucking idea. Fight or flight, baby. Let's go. As soon as you get that opportunity to be free, man, take that fucking chance take the chance why wouldn't you you know you're selling yourself short to think that you don't have a possibility to make it because that is still just another person you know that's got you trapped that's still just a person no matter how monstrous they seem that's still a person you can outwit them they're not fucking you know above you in intelligence not always at least i mean to, you already got to know how stupid this person is for the simple fact that they assume that they could take this person this victim who they've already done terrible things to and then go and load them onto a plane you know what I mean? Like, obviously, she's, she's going to think it, this is my perfect chance to escape. Uh, she later told police that she had left her blue sneakers on the passenger side floor of the sedan's back seat as evidence that she had been in the car. That's pretty smart as well to even think about that. Like I said, in most situations, it's fight or flight, which is like a panic situation. You know, she knew that she was going to run. She knew so much about the fact that she was going to run that she decided to leave evidence in this motherfucker's car. Brilliant. Uh, Hanson panicked and chased her, but Paulson made it to 6th Avenue first and managed to flag down a passing truck. The driver, Robert Yount, that's a crazy last name, Y-O-U-N-T, Yount. I wonder what that even is. Scandinavian, Yount. I like it. He was alarmed by her disheveled appearance. He stopped, picked her up, and then he drove her to uh, the Mush Inn, where she jumped out of the truck and ran inside. She pleaded with the clerk to phone her boyfriend at the Big Timber Motel. The truck driver continued on to work, where he called the police to report the barefoot handcuffed woman. Now, I don't know. I feel like I wouldn't be calling my boyfriend at that point. Like, what? I don't know. I mean, I guess if you made a deal with the guy to call, the truck driver to call the police, 
then you go in and call your boyfriend, yeah, sure, that's all well and good. I don't know, I'd be thinking about other shit, like, I need to call the fucking cops. They need to get this dude, he's right there. And like I said, this uh, Robert Hansen, he he chased her. Um, what do you think's going to happen? Is he really just going to grab her back up and bring her all the way back? No. That's why I assumed, like, I'd rather, I'd, I would think I'd be shot in the back from running. But either way, when Anchorage when the Anchorage Police uh, Department officers arrived at the Mush Inn, they were told that the young woman had taken a cab to the Big Timber Motel. APD officers arrived at the room of the Big Timber Motel and found Cindy Paulson. She was still handcuffed and alone, so she couldn't even get her fucking handcuffs off. Could you imagine to get away, be free, and then still have fucking handcuffs on? Like, that's a constant reminder. And then when the cops showed up, it's like, they can't be like, oh, nothing happened to her. She looks fucked up, I'm sure. And she's in handcuffs. Nobody puts that shit on and then gets a motel room just to hang out. Uh, she was taken to APD headquarters where she described the perpetrator, Hanson. Now, when questioned by APD officers, denied the accusation stating that Paulson was just trying to cause trouble because he would not pay her extortion demands. Although Hanson had several prior, prior run-ins with the law, his meek demeanor and humble occupation as a baker along with the strong alibi from his friend John Henning, kept him from being considered as a serious suspect, and the case went cold. Now, that would just bother me so much. Like, it's the un the guys that are fucking unassuming that always get you, you know? The one the one guy, oh, he's a, he's a baker. So there's no way he's a bad guy. There's no way he's a baker. They don't do nothing wrong. He's a fucking guy. Regardless, he's a person. He's a human. You can't trust everybody, man. That's the whole thing. And that's, that's where I think they failed, by trusting this guy because he was meek. Who cares? Who cares? Those guys are fucking suspicious. And then this John Henning fella giving him an alibi, he's suspicious in itself. Arrest his bitch ass too. So Detective Glenn Floth, it's a shitty last name. Sorry guys, I'm a stickler for names. Uh, Glenn Floth of the Alaska State Troopers had been part of the team investigating the discovery of several bodies in and around Anchorage, Seaward, and the Man... Uh, I said this earlier. Mantanuska Valley area. I can't even say the other word. Sustina? I don't care. Uh, the first of the bodies was found by construction workers near... I don't even know. E-K-L-U-T-N-A. Aklunta? Aklutna Road? Sure. The body was dubbed a Glutna Annie by investigators. Uh, it still has never been identified. Later that year, the body of Joanna Messina was discovered in a gravel pit near Seaward. And in 1982, the remains of 23-year-old Sherry Moreau, Moreau uh, was discovered in a shallow grave near the Nick River. Floth now had three bodies and what looked like one killer. So the officers are really trying to get into this, man, and figure this shit out. Because think about it. There's not that many people. And this incident that took place with this first girl, this Cindy Paulson, she got away. And it, it was right around the same area of the Nick River, again, where Sherry Moreau's body was discovered. So you're trying to put the two and two together. Go back and re-question Mr. Meek uh, Robert Hansen. Detective Glenn Floth then contacted the uh, FBI Special Agent Roy Hazelwood and requested him to help with a criminal psychological profile based on the three recovered bodies. Hazelwood thought that the killer would be an experienced hunter with low self-esteem. He would have a history of being rejected by women and feel compelled to keep souvenirs of those murders, such as the victim's jewelry. 
He also suggested that the assailant might stutter. Using this profile, Floth investigated possible suspects until he reached Hansen, who fit the profile and owned a plane. It was like all those things. That's you know, from the moment we were talking about him, when we first mentioned Robert Hansen and all of his things growing up, that is him, to a T, one hundred percent to a T. Uh, supported by Paulson's testimony and Hazelwood's profile, Floth and the APD secured a warrant to search Hansen's plane, cars, and home. On October 27, 1983, investigators uncovered jewelry belonging to some of the missing women, as well as an array of firearms in a corner hideaway of Hansen's attic. They also found an aviation map with little X marks on it hidden behind Hansen's headboard. Hansen, yeah, Hansen's headboard. Uh, when confronted with the evidence found in his home, Hansen denied it as long as he could, but he eventually began to blame the women and tried to justify his motives. Now, that's the most twisted shit, when they try to blame the victims. Uh, he eventually confessed to each item of evidence as it was presented to him. He admitted to a spree of attacks against Alaskan women starting in 1971. Hansen's earliest victims were young women, usually between 16 and 19, and not sex workers unlike the victims who led to his discovery. So he was just killing randoms in the beginning and, and young women at that. Absolutely insane. Like I said, it just seems a little weird, a little odd that it took him so long to uh, find the man or to even kind of put in the, the notion that it could be him. They're like, oh, he's a baker. Oh, he's meek. He's little. He has a problem talking to women. He doesn't have a tough demeanor. He probably couldn't hurt a fly. Well, that's your guy. That's your guy. It is uh, kind of an amazing skill set that these FBI profilers have to be able to come up with this this outline of who this person possibly could be and then fucking nail it on almost every occasion. Almost every occasion. I would think they're probably, you know, batting 500 at least. It's not so bad. I don't know the actual statistics, but I'm just saying the the ability to hit so many of those things on the nose when it comes to this specific case was amazing. That turned it all around, I'm sure. So it's definitely good to see that there was a survivor. If it wasn't for Cindy Paulson, who was able to kind of give the best description of this person and, and leave her shoes and all this shit, I, I would imagine that he would probably have still killed many more people. It just seems like it, that would be the case. So thankfully, some, some of these guys get captured because there's the will of a victim to survive. And I'm not saying that there's victims that are... that. Every other victim out there is like, oh, it's over with, I'm done, and they give up. But I'm sure that there is some cases like that that exist, where you just accept your fate. You know what's coming. So you don't, you know, you do nothing to try and save yourself. Which is sad, but until you're in that situation, you don't know. It's only my opinion, just an opinion, and I can't say 100% one way or the other, which is which is more likely. But either way, man, that's Robert Hansen. Those are his crimes, and now we're going to get into the part where we talk about what happened to him. What happened to him after this situation? What was he charged with? Where'd he go? Is he still alive today? Let's dig into that right here. Alright guys, so basically I'm going to give you a quick rundown of all of the victims that he has either claimed to have or they said that was his, okay? Uh, Hansen's actually known to have raped and, assault and assaulted over 30 Alaskan women. He's also responsible for murdering at least 17, ranging from the age of 16 to 41. 
Uh, Lisa Fatrell, she was 41, he acknowledged it, and the body found with Hansen's help. Uh, Malay Larson, she was 28, acknowledged, and body found with Hansen's help. Uh, Sue Luna, 23, same situation. Body was found with Hansen's help. Uh, Tammy Peterson, age 20, same thing. Angela uh, Ferdern, 24, same thing. Uh, Teresa Watson, same thing. Delin Sugar Fry acknowledged the body was discovered on August 20th, 1985 by a pilot testing new tires on the sandbar of the Nick River. So once again, he's like it, they all have to be pretty much around that same area. Uh, Paula Goulding was acknowledged and the body was found. Andrea Fish Altieri, what a crazy nickname, Fish. It was admitted and body not found. Uh, Sherry Morrow, she was 23, he admitted and the body was found. This uh, Eklunta, Eklutna, Annie, uh, he admitted but and the body was found. The true identity has never been discovered, so that's just sad. Uh, Joanna Messina admitted and the body was found. Like, see, with, with bodies that uh, are found and never claimed... I feel like that they should definitely, if you had a tattoo of some sort that was recognizable to your family at least, I feel like it'd be a little bit easier, right? Especially in the situations where people are dismembered. Uh, Joanna Messina, admitted body found. Then you got uh, another one that's unknown named Horseshoe Harriet. Uh, he acknowledged the body was found with Hanson's help and the true identity has never been discovered. It's like you would think he would have some sort of a, a rundown of like where he was when he met this person and all that stuff, but apparently not. Then you have uh, Roxanne Eastland, who is 24, acknowledged, body not found. Celia Van Zanten, 17, uh, body not found. Oh, hold on. Deni he denied this, but he was suspected because of an X on the aviation map where the body was found. So that was the confusion. So he denies it, but yeah. Uh, he, you know, the map that they found behind his bed actually had an X where she was found. Then you have uh, Megan Emmerich, who was 17. He denied that as well, but there was another X, and the body was not found in this situation. Uh, Mary Thill, who was 22, he denied, but suspected because of the X on the aviation map, but the body was not found. So how can you just, I don't know, if the body's not found in that area where the X was, how can you, I don't know, it just seemed, seemed strange. But of course, my heart goes out to all these victims and their families. That shit's terrible, man. It's awful situation. Like, I couldn't even imagine being faced with this. Like I said, that fight or flight thing. I don't know what I would do. You know, I don't want. I don't even really want to put myself in the situation. But uh, of all the uh, 17 women, Hanson was only formally charged with the murder of four. Uh, Sherry Moreau, uh, Joanna Messina, the Ekluntna, Annie, and Paula Goulding. He was also charged with the kidnapping and rape of Cindy Paulson, the survivor. Once, he's, once he was arrested, Robert Hansen was charged with assault, kidnapping, multiple weapons offenses, and theft and insurance fraud. The last charge was related to the claim filed with the insurance company over alleged theft of some trophies. Uh, the funds he used to purchase the Super Cub. Uh, stupid. At trial, he claimed he later recovered the trophies in his backyard but forgot to inform the insurer. You fucking liar. Only after ballistic tests returned a match between bullets found at the crime scenes and Hansen's rifle did he enter into a plea bargain. He pleaded guilty to the four homicides the police had evidence for and provided details about his other victims, 
in return for serving his sentence in a federal prison along with no publicity in the press. Another condition of the plea bargain was his participation in deciphering the markings on his aviation map and locating his victims' bodies. He confirmed the police theory of how the women were abducted, adding that he would sometimes let a potential victim go if she convinced him that she wouldn't report him to police. He indicated that he began killing in the early 1970s. So that's a long run in the killing. And then also the fact that there, there's more victims out there that just didn't tell on him and let it continue to happen. Could they have stopped him from killing you know, his first victim? Did he let her go and say, don't tell anyone? And then he eventually went on to kill? Like, I feel like that would stick with you for a long time if you were that victim. Like, oh man, I should have said something. But uh, he showed investigators 17 grave sites in and around South Central Alaska, 12 of which were unknown to investigators. Uh, there remained marks there remained marks on his map that he refused to give up, including three in the Resurrection Bay near Seaward. Authorities suspect two of these marks belong to the graves of Mary Thill and Megan Emmerich, whom Hansen had denied killing. The remains of 12 of a probable 21 victims were exhumed by the police and returned to their families. Hansen was sentenced by jury to 461 years plus life in prison. Without the possibility of parole, he was the first imprisoned. He was at first imprisoned in the United States Penitentiary in Lewisburg's in Lewisburg, in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. In 1988, he was returned to Alaska and briefly incarcerated at Lemon Creek Correctional Center in Juneau. Do you know what I mean? Uh, he was also imprisoned at Spring Creek Correctional Center in Seward until May 2014, when he was transported to the no longer, I, I would assume, or it's not called this, the Anchorage Correctional Complex, for health reasons. So 461 years, motherfucker, you better be a wizard or it's over with. You're done for. He actually did die at the age of 75 at the Alaska Regional Hospital in Anchorage on August 21st, 2014, due to undisclosed lingering health conditions. Crazy, right? Good. Good riddance, man. It's just, it's just crazy because a lot of these guys, you know, that, that commit all these heinous crimes, they end up living a longer life, whether it be in prison or not, but they end up living a long life and dying of natural causes, whereas, you know, their victims most definitely didn't. But a, a few quick things, the, uh, there has been a film adaptation, kind of, of his crimes, and it's he was portrayed by John Cusack in the film The Frozen Ground in 2013, opposite Nicolas Cage as Sergeant Jack Holcomb character based on Glenn Floth and Vanessa Hudgens as victim Cindy Paulson. There was also Naked Fear, directed by uh, Tom Eberhardt, starring Daniel DeLuca. It's loosely based on characteristics apparent in the real-life modus operandi of Alaskan serial killer Robert Hansen. There's also different TV series that have mentioned him and all these different things. Then in the media, after, uh, you know, I would imagine this is all came after he died because he didn't want it to be publicly uh, displayed. People profited off of him, and hopefully the victims' families profited off of him after he died. Well, let's get that movie with John Cusack going, because how many times a high-profile actor portraying a high-profile killer? Yeah.